Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and my job is to help you deepen your connections, increase your sales, and serve your audiences better. Every Monday morning, I send out a storytelling tip to my email subscribers, and I talk about how I have used it in my own storytelling for my clients and for myself, and I leave you with tangible advice on how you can apply it to your strategies. If this sounds like something that would interest you, go ahead and sign up for the newsletter at rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. Again, that's rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. This podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that helps you tell heartfelt stories to maximize your impact in minimal time. Find out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. You ever find yourself wanting to pursue a project or multiple projects and passionate about these things that you have inside of your heart and your head that you want to create, but you fight and you struggle against either real or perceived blocks, limitations, things that are preventing you from pursuing that, whether it's your own limiting beliefs, whether it's finding the time, whether it's knowing the, the route to take to get it out there, or any of the things along the way, along the process of making anything, a book, a podcast, a fence outside, or anything that you're building. This is something that I struggle with all the time. I'm assuming that you do too. If you're listening to this and you get value from this show, these are the kinds of people that I talk to. 
These are the kinds of people that I learn from. These are the kinds of people that I hope help you learn and pursue the projects that you're passionate about. What's up, storytellers? Welcome back to the Storytelling Lab. This is episode 120, and it is another TikTok gem, a creator that I met on TikTok initially that I'm trying to give uh, more space and more amplification to their voices and get them on the show uh, because I've met so many new people there that do something similar to, to the things that I do, the things that you probably do, and the things we're trying to achieve. Now, today, my guest is Alana Marie, and Alana faced all of these things. She is a multi-passionate person that had an interest in a lot of different uh, pursuits, most of them creative, but not all of them creative. She's just someone who who loves to work, who loves to create things, and she always has. She's always been that type of person. However, she has always dealt with limiting beliefs, with things that that actually block her her path or her pursuing traditional paths as, as a black female creative. There's a lot of things or a lot of spaces that aren't inherently completely open to someone that looks like her. Now, here's the thing. She shares with me throughout this amazing conversation that we have exactly what she had to do to overcome that so that she could, you know, become a creator to start creating things to help people become brand photographers for their own brand, to create her first film, to get a job in fintech, to do all of these things that she's interested in doing and having success at all of them. And I'll sum it up really quickly. It goes basically like this. You have a passion or multiple passions. You have things that are that are blocking you from pursuing those passions. What you need to do and what she does and what she explains uh, how she did it is seek alternative education constantly. Look for opportunities to learn, to grow, to connect with people that may or may not help you along the way that you can leverage, that you can utilize, that you can bounce ideas off of. And then you also have to seek out and find alternate routes to to distribution, to delivery, to achieving that project and taking it to your audience. All the while, documenting the process, telling your story, sharing your story, building your community that will support you, that will help you create these projects, that will open doors that you didn't expect to be opened, that will collaborate and connect with you in ways you never, never could foresee. Alana is relentless, and that is what it takes to go from being a dreamer, someone who aspires to be a certain thing, to being a maker, a creator, someone who actually does the things. I related to her story so much, and I was so excited to talk with her. I first found her on TikTok, I mean, probably a year or two ago. She was talking, she was in the storytelling space, and she was talking about Stories That Stick, a book by Kendra Hall. And it got some traction. Her account uh, and her following has grown uh, massively since then. But uh, I reached out to her because, like, oh my God, you know, this is a great book. And, you know, you know, chatted with her. We made a connection, and I, I, reached out when I wanted to have TikTok uh, TikTokers <laughs> on the show and she was like sure and it took took a, a long while I kept hitting her back to try to um to try to get her on the show I now know and she'll tell you in the in the episode why <laughs> why she was so busy during that time but she stuck with me and I'm very appreciative and very grateful for that uh, for us to have this conversation because it paid off and listen there's a lot of people that I hit up once or twice maybe three times and we just can't connect and I kind of just let it go I never let it go with her because I knew there would be so much value for me and for you in this conversation and I promise you there will be now one disclaimer uh, she had she did 
did all of this, you know, released her first film, created workshops and curriculums and, you know, continued to do her own branding and social media and photography and then got a day job in the fintech space and in the, in, in the tech space where she never thought she belonged. I mean, that's kind of one of the themes of our conversation, how to get into spaces where you don't traditionally belong. And since then, just very recently, in fact, after we recorded the episode, she and I'm spilling her business a little bit, but she has made it very public. So this is <laughs> this is not anything that uh, I have exclusive knowledge of. Uh, she was let go from that job. Um, so just a little bit of context about where we are now with that. But at the time she was still working, I think she worked there for maybe about a year, maybe not that long. I'm not sure about that, but I am sure of one thing and she's made it very clear. Even if she didn't, I know just by talking with her and seeing the type of person she is that she's going to be fine. Uh, anything that happens to her, she bounces right off and continues on because she is, as I said earlier, relentless and her pursuit of her mission and all her missions are equally as relentless. So I don't think it's a problem. Uh, she sure didn't seem shaken about it all at all. I reached out to her to uh, to say sorry, uh, and she was just like, eh, you know, it's all good." Um, so a lot to learn from her and the way she views the world and the way she moves in the world. So here is my conversation with Alana Marie, and I hope that you love it. So you got a ton of stuff going on in your personal life. Mm. What's going on currently? What's your day-to-day life like now professionally? Like one of the reasons I was so excited to talk with you, I see a lot of similarities. Like we both do way too mm. much stuff. Uh, and now I know that in the past year, it's been, it's been a while now, like if I remember correctly, but past year you've added like a full-time, uh, mm-hmm. position job to the mix, but haven't stopped all the other things. Mm-hmm. It, at least it seems so. Mm-hmm. What are you excited yeah. about besides all the personal wins that you have going on? What are you excited about looking forward to? I mean, we've got just a few more months left of 2022 now, although it feels yeah. like it just started. Yeah, I feel like I, I have moments where I reflect on this time last year. So I just you know, recently made a post about how uh, last August I was preparing to be a digital communications teacher. Um, for ninth graders. And prior to that, I was, you know, strictly doing entrepreneurship. Um, I come from an education background. I had quit my job in January of 2020 um, in preparation to move to Dallas, which is where I'm at now. And so the mission was once removed, I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to build up my personal brand. And I got a business coach and found some different clients and stuff in Dallas uh, while also finishing my documentary. And so Still a lot of spinning plates, branding photography, documentary photography, um, content strategy, coaching, finishing my documentary. Um, And so it wasn't until towards the end of last year where my husband and I sat down and was talking about, you know, future plans. Like we want to buy a home. We want to expand our family. That's going to require more uh, consistent income. And so that's when I made the decision to rejoin the workforce. Um, And because of my education background, I've been in education for seven years, but I've never been a teacher. I've always been like support staff. I've always been, you know, advisory counseling um, type of role. And so it was always on my bucket list to teach. Like, I want to know what it's like. Like I've, I've, you know, taught workshops um, in sessions, but I've just never sat in front of the class five days a week. So let's see how this works. 
ran, I did all the five days and I realized that it's not my ministry. Um, literally <laughs> like August 18th was my first day. That was a Wednesday. And over the weekend, I was like, this is not sustainable. So I went from, I want to try one year to, I want to make it to first semester to uh-huh. yeah. Um, tomorrow I will not be returning. Um, and I felt bad because of, you know, just our culture's perception of like quitting. And, you know, I was there for a short time, but I was starting to make connections with the kids. Right. Um, but I learned too, like I can still educate and I can still teach. It doesn't have to be in the confinement of the four walls of the classroom. Um, and so my husband was like, if it's making you feel like this, when you come home every day, it's not worth it. Uh, I had just been diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder earlier in March, um, ulcerative colitis, which is inflammatory bowel disease. And so one of my main fact flare factors is stress. Mm-hmm. I started to feel my stomach ache and I mm. was like, oh, no, sir. No, sir. No, ma'am. It's not worth it. And so once my husband kind of gave me his peace, I was like, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. And from there, literally a month later, I had started, uh, I spent over a weekend creating a curriculum to host um, how to shoot like a pro with your iPhone class. Nice. Yeah. Um, because I, that's what I do for my own brand. Like all the pictures that I take as a professional photographer for myself, I use my cell phone. And so a friend of mine was just like, do you have a class on this? I'm like, girl, ain't nobody going to pay for this. Like everybody got an iPhone. Like you just turn, use the back face and camera. They don't know. Clearly. They don't. So I, it's I, a I, huge I, gap. Yeah. My daughter had a basketball practice and I took my laptop to practice and I just like literally built out the curriculum step-by-step in my documentary mindset. So I broke everything down in pre-production, production, post-production and uh, formalized the process. And then I built out a landing page and then I made the offer and literally the the class, it was a 90 minute workshop and I had like over 120 people sign up and I made like over 6k. Um, Let's go from selling. And so my brain needed that win because it happened like right after I quit my job. Right. Um, and it affirmed that I could, I can make money outside of, I can continue to make good money outside of, you know, a nine to five. And still teaching people. And still teaching people and right. building curriculum and educating, yeah. and, you know, seeing and, tangible wins. And this is specifically like uh, an area that, that people need and can benefit from because mm. people have to create the types of things we're talking about creating and not a lot of them are going to get a professional camera or take the time to learn it etc i see the same thing in, in the in the film and, and video side of it too where now i mean the iphones can really produce a beautiful image especially if you know what you're doing especially if you have right. any experience on the post-production side of things and so there's this transition happening where there's going to a lot of be a lot of full-time videographers as well using iPhones. So there's a huge gap for this. This is a side note, but somewhat related. I don't know. Um, what's your husband's name? Devin. Devin. I don't know how Devin is with a camera, but I thought I made a joke post one time on like Facebook of like, we need to do a workshop for the significant others of creators because my wife, I have all these beautiful photos of her, the beach, all that stuff. Cause I know how to mm-hmm. use an iPhone effectively. Right. And mm-hmm. then it's really hard for people like me and probably people like you uh, to get that. I mean, you do it yourself. <laughs> so yeah. But on the contrary, my husband actually, he he's a creator. So okay. he Dope. had that's a camera great. in his hand. He, he bought me my first camera. Okay, got it. So when it comes to like my like my birthday pictures, like he's going to be taking my maternity oh, pictures. that's amazing. Yeah, He's yeah, yeah. the gadget head. I am, the reason I started using my iPhone is because I am a lazy creative. Like I don't like toting all that stuff when it's just me. 
I won't like if I can produce quality results with just my cell phone, especially how much I'm paying a month mm-hmm. for my cell phone. But my husband, he's he's the gadget head. Um, I love his that. His office this- is full of gadgets. Well, that's fortunate. That's that's mm-hmm. that's nice for you. But this this brings up another point that I'm really interested in. I'm glad we connected on because this is and I put that in quotes and wrote that down the lazy creative. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm the same exact way. And it developed my philosophy on like storytelling first and then production value. Like, you, you know, you add tools to your toolbox as you go along, because most of the people I serve they have that block where they're like, I don't know how to use this. I don't know what the best platform is. I don't know what yada, 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 you know, and all these, these thoughts that we have, these stories in the back of our head that prevent us from creating content or connecting with our people through our messaging. And I'm not a gadget head. I feel like I'm a good storyteller and I know enough of the gadgets to do it, but all my films were heavy on the storyline and and they didn't rely on, high, you know, graphics and, you know, big, big, expensive, difficult production value things. That's, mm-hmm. that's totally my philosophy. So, and, and the reason I, you know, at first I thought it was like imposter syndrome or like, you know, I felt inadequate cause I couldn't do it. And then I understood like, no, this is just my like perspective and my path towards it. And now I help people that aren't professional filmmakers, writers, artists mm-hmm. do the same thing. So my question is, what are some of those best practices? It's like, how do you be a lazy creative, but still an impactful creative that can can communicate with her audience clearly and effectively? Yeah, I, I experienced this a lot um, when making my first film, which I honestly had no intentions of doing. Like every time I tell the story, I try to make it more concise. Um, <laughs> but because I, I come from an education background, I was a graduate student at the time that I started making this film. Um, and I was, I, I felt a lot of imposter syndrome. One, the film world, whether it's, you know, fiction, indie, it is saturated by white men. And so I already felt like I'm coming into a space where I'm like, okay, I'm a woman, I'm a black female. I don't have any industry connections. I never, you know, touched a camera before in this capacity, but I can write my ass off um, because that's one, I have to, I'm in graduate school. Everything I produce has, I have to write it. I have to research. Yep. And so I had to get to a point where, um, sorry for can't curse on your platform. No, no, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get to a point where I'm like, okay, Alana, what are your strengths that you can lean into while learning how to do the other things? Like I can hire somebody to hold the camera for me. Um, but the story piece that's going to have to come from me. So I literally had to get to a point where I had to prioritize my strengths, writing, reading, researching, um, engaging with my audience. I have, I'm very charismatic how you see me on the screen is how I am in person, except even more animated. Like majority of the time we're doing this call, you're going to see my hand doing this. This That's how I emphasize my words. Um, I had to play to my strengths. And so while I was doing that, which is also helpful, and you'll learn too, and you'll, as you watch content, there's so many things on Netflix with horrible storylines, beautiful cinema. And I'm like, I know damn well, my film as a first time filmmaker could have made this, but neither here nor there. So playing playing to my strengths while also filling in the gaps. So while I was fine tuning the story piece, the story structure, my research, I was also in a um, media production class that taught me the the technical side of filmmaking. So it was a nine month training program for adults who were early on in their filmmaking journey. So for people who had never done it before. Um, And I was the part of the inaugural class and they taught me pre-production and they taught me different softwares on how to edit 
um, my content, we got to rent out, you know, Canon cameras and tripods and we paired up with each other to work on different projects. So the short version of my documentary was created in that class. And so I strengthened the areas that I knew I was good at while also taking time to learn the other side. If I focused on, I don't know how to use a camera, my film would not be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we've already talked a lot about different elements and aspects of education, which is no mm -hmm. surprise. That's your background. You know, you launching that course about how to, you know, shoot branding photos with, with an iPhone, um, you taking this course that you just mentioned, which is such a great idea, like a nine month intensive or whatever to, to, to mm -hmm. learn that stuff. It's not a, lo a long period of time compared to going to film school or, or, or something like that. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of us, as you get into your thirties and I just turned 40, uh, this year, then you start to have that thought that creeps in your head of like, Oh, it's, it's passing me by, or it's too late. So I really love that. It's like targeted towards, uh, towards adults. But my question is, as I think people often, I don't think it's a fear, but something is preventing them from like taking a leap and investing in themselves through education, investing in education, uh, there is a dialogue or a narrative out there that's kind of like dragging course creators. And listen, I know there's some scammy like courses out there, so I get it, but it tends to paint with a broad brush and just say like anybody selling a course is like, you know, out to get you and they have nothing else to provide, yada, 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 which I hate that because I've some of the best things that I've learned and best investments I've made in myself in business have been yeah. through, you know, taking the leap. So, so how important is it to invest in education, alternative education resources when you're trying to build something here? Like you're trying to create something, you got a story inside of your heart. Mm -hmm. It sounds like that was a big piece of the puzzle for you to get it, you know, get to the finish line. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge advocate for um, being a forever student and broadening your definition of education. So majority of the things that I've had my hands on and the things that I made money from were not from the degrees that I got from school. So like I have an undergrad degree in communication, um, organizational communication, but I was a, a, a pop culture, black culture writer. That's not none of the stuff that I learned in school, um, the, the formalities of it, but the, the things that I got paid for were writing about things that interested me. Um, I was in school for, to get my master's of social work when I became a documentary filmmaker. Um, and so the biggest thing that helped me in that time was my network. I'm at the number one school for social work in the country. Um, my institution was considered the Ivy League of the Midwest. So I'm gonna utilize my network because it cost me a lot of money to get here, but they didn't teach me how to be a documentary filmmaker. Um, and so broadening what your definition of education is, and so for people who are very timid about, well, I don't want to spend money because what if it's a waste? Okay, then you're going to be in the same spot next year. Um, I'm very much a, an advocate for free education too. I have so many certificates from HubSpot about social media marketing and content marketing. Like there's several legit resources out there, both free or low cost. And then when you're finally comfortable, informational interviews, I stayed in inboxes of local filmmakers in my city and invited them out for coffee just to sit in front of them and just listen to their stories. That is education. I'm, I'm getting direct education from that. Um, the media production program that I was a part of was free. In fact, they paid us to participate in that. Like For nine months? For nine months. That's amazing. 
for nine months. It was very, it was very aligned, which is like, I graduated from my degree program in May of 2017. That's also when I applied to that media production program. It started in August. When I applied, I knew I was going to get it just because of just the, the alignment and where I was with the film and what I wanted to do. I was like, I, I know I'm going to get in. Like, not on no cocky stuff, but it was just like, it just, it feels too aligned, right? Um, and my instructors, one of my instructors in that program ended up being my DP. And the founder of that pro of, of that program was my mentor, who also shot B-roll footage for me from my film as well. And so like that education piece, that mentorship, he also connected me with another young woman who was shooting a documentary in St. Louis and needed a PA. It was my first production assistant opportunity that was paid. And I just literally sat there at her feet and watched how she directed. And then I absorbed a lot of the tactics she used with her interview subjects into how I interview my subjects as well that is mm -hmm. education and Big so job. broadening what you what you assume is education and also taking heed to both free and paid opportunities but immersing yourself in the world not being afraid to reach out to people who are already in the industry um, with your inquiries with your questions and getting hands-on experience and also taking the risk so for me, and I'm always using the how to build your phone, I mean, how to build, uh, take pictures like a, a pro with your iPhone, like I had never, to me, formally created a curriculum, like being an instructional designer. Now, because I've done it, it's a skill that I can take into another industry because I, I did it on my own mm -hmm. and I took the risk. I didn't know that people would sign up for this class. I leaned in with the, with the thought that like everybody knows how to do this. And I took the risk because somebody asked me and it ended up working in my favor. Mm -hmm. That was education for me and learning, okay, how can I refine this? So I did the class again and I made 3,500 the second time I created the class. Tickets were only $49. That is nothing. And so taking the risk is a part of your education. But if you're saying that you, you want to be a creator, um, you, you want to switch industries, you want to work on this project but you don't want to spend any money or spend any time, then how valuable is this project, this industry switch? How valuable is it to you? You're going to have to spend mm -hmm. something. You're going to have to come right. up. Come and $49 up is spent on dinner real fast. On a Friday night for a party of one. Exactly. Exactly. For a party of one. Exactly. Yeah, I just spent it on uh, at lunch. I was in the airport coming back from Pittsburgh yesterday and spent $44, right? In I the mean, airport, and, yes. And, yes, and that's, that's gone. Correct. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that pastrami sandwich is gone. Mm -hmm. Um, so what like I'm just curious with that workshop, uh, what platform did you use? How did you promote it? So I used the Zoom webinar extension. Okay. Um, so where I wanted, you know, they, I could interact with my participants in the chat. They just saw me, I shared my screen. Um, and I really did it via social media. So yes. that helped build my following, um, a friend of mine who she is a boutique owner, um, based out of St. Louis. She has a huge, huge following and she pubbed it for me. And I didn't even ask her to also, but she oh, was like, awesome. you know, my friend is amazing at taking pictures with her iPhone. Like for all of you boutique owners who, you know, are wanting to start from scratch, like you need to take this class. Perfect. And then I just had an influx of, of you know, boutique owners who wanted to yeah. take this class. And, you know, that's why networking is so in, important and staying connected to people is so important. Um, but I did over social media. I had a, a free masterclass prior to that that also helped me build my email list. 
again, my strengths, I'm a social media manager by trade. So I use that for, to advance and, and yeah. have people sign up. Where'd you grow up? St. Louis, Missouri, born and raised. And, and what, what type of, uh, what type of kid were you? Uh, I was, I was, I was a creative child. Were you? Um, I was a creative child. I was also, uh, I isolated myself a lot. I, so COVID has taught me how much of an ambivert I am. So when you meet me and I'm, I'm very extroverted, I'm extroverted when I'm comfortable, I'm extroverted when I'm in my zone, but this requires a lot of energy. So I can almost guarantee you once, once this is over, I'm gonna close my laptop and I'm gonna retreat. Yeah back to myself. I'm very animated when it's about things that I care about. But growing up, you know, I'm the only girl. I have two brothers. I would spend a lot of time to myself. I would be in my room watching TV. Mm-hmm. I would write short stories. I would write poems. Um, I would write songs. My dad's a singer. Um, at one point in time, I wanted to be an interior designer and I would like draw homes and I wanted to be a fashion designer and I would draw clothes. Um, I Now that I think back, I'm like, I've always been a creative and I've always been an archivist. I love taking pictures of, of random things. Like I would always bring my camera to school, get the USB port and then like plug it into my computer and upload entire albums of nothingness to Facebook <laughs> or take the, the, the drive to Walgreens and get my stuff printed out for eight cents a picture. Uh, when my family would go out of town, I would save receipts to show that I had been to another city and I would put it in a scrapbook. I'd always been an archivist. I'd always been a documentarian. I didn't have the language for it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't getting paid for it, but it was something that I innately did. I love collecting things and I love creating things. Um, and I love being to myself, which COVID has definitely amplified uh, for me. But yeah. And ambivert. I like that a lot. And I empathize with that, with that a lot. I have both. So are you a Gemini? I'm a Cancer. Cancer. Okay. What, what what when were you born or what was your birthday rather? July sir, I was born on Friday the thirteenth. Oh Lord. <laughs> July thirteenth, nineteen ninety. Okay, cancer. My son's a cancer. All right. Well, we're not. It's not far. I'm I'm a, I'm a June baby. But that's interesting that the kind of parallels. I I feel the same way. I I made a post the other day about just being at a kid's birthday party with other parents. And I just tend to retreat and like think of stories and business ideas. Like I'm off doing my own thing, looking like a weirdo. And a lot of people commented like, yeah, I don't buy that. Like, I don't, I don't believe, like I don't picture you being antisocial, but like naturally I am shy and quiet, but my mom and my brother were very, you know, outgoing and outspoken taught me how to turn it on when I have to. Yeah. But yeah. So I, I, I definitely get that too. I never really heard it. Uh, heard it uh, expressed that way in the ambivert mm-hmm. but I, I, I get it mm-hmm. um, when did you realize like did you go to school immediately for social media or what was it what was when you were coming out of your adolescence like what was mm-hmm. the pursuit so I had always been a good student active student I was my senior class vice president I was always involved in things and clubs so um, I went to a fairly large high school, like my senior class, to me, fairly large, was 451 people just in my senior class alone. Um, very, very active, very involved. I was also a first generation college student. I was the first in my family to go to college. Same. Um, I went to the University of Missouri, Columbia or Mizzou, um, but I also got pregnant my freshman year. And so, but I was still very involved. So I I stayed there my first year, my last day of finals, my freshman year, I found that I was having a girl, my daughter. 
Um, and I went back home. I went back to St. Louis for 15 months and my advisor at Mizzou stayed in touch with me to make sure that the classes that I was taking back home would transfer directly back to oh, my great. program at Mizzou. So I had always had uh, the track mind that I'm going to be back. I'm going to be back. Like I'm going back home to get help, you know, raising my daughter from my parents. Um, I took summer classes while I was pregnant. I took online classes while she was born. And so like I would nurse while I'm like taking <laughs> classes online. Um, I went back to work when she was two months. And so both of my grandmothers, God rest their souls, my father's mom and my mother's mom, they would alternate who watched Addison throughout the week because she didn't mm. go to daycare until she turned one. So my village was super, super, super strong. Mm. Um, and I continued to go to class. So when she was 15 months, I decided that I'm ready to go back to school or go back to Mizzou. And so I would, I would drop her off at daycare. And I would make trips to Columbia because it's literally 90 minutes away from St. Louis. And I would like meet with the financial aid department. I would meet with my advisor. I would, uh, I enrolled and got food stamps. I got, you know, childcare assistance. I enrolled her in daycare and I would drive back to St. Louis when it was time to pick her up from daycare to make sure all of my stuff was in order. Cause I wanted to present my case to my parents. Like I'm ready to go back and here's everything that I did. <laughs> this is when I move out. This is the apartment that I got. Um, and that's exactly what I did when she was 15 months old. I moved back to Columbia, got my apartment and I finished and I walked in December, 2012 with my same cohort that I came, you know, came in with. And so I ended on, uh, how I got my major communication. The time that I was home, um, communication was my fifth major. I came in business and then I was like, I took a business class. I'm like, this is boring. And then mm -hmm. I went to, no, I was poli-sci. And then I realized that, um, that I got my first C in poli-sci. And I was really interested in like law and order until I realized that most cases get solved outside of the courtroom. Mm -hmm. And then the, the lawyers that make the most money are in the fields that are boring to me, like corporate law, tax law. Right. Don't want to do criminal law. I'll just continue to watch law and order. Then I switched to business and then I was undecided. And then I was psychology which I really, really liked, but it was like, what are you going to do with a psych degree if you're not actively practicing? Yeah. Psychology? Yeah. It's tough. And then when I was home, my father received his 25 year certificate for working at General Motors. And when it came in the mail, I was like, dang, this man been at the same job for 25 <laughs> years. <laughs> what am I going to do for the next 25 years? communication I like communicating that's literally my thought process so I, I finalized my you know major on communication um that's what I graduated in so I was really interested in public relations mm -hmm. I said I always wanted to work in media but from the behind the camera was what I what I told myself um but I also had a passion for service so I was a team mom mentor while I was in school when I graduated, um, I started doing research on like child support law, child support modification. Um, and then I ended up working at the Father Support Center in St. Louis for uh, fatherhood advocacy work. And so I never knew how to merge my passion for creating the arts, but also service work until moving back home. I served in AmeriCorps for two years before going to graduate school. And in my second year, working with students. I was a college advisor at a public school in St. Louis was when Mike Brown was murdered. And uh, Ferguson 
is literally nine minutes from where I lived. Um, the apartment complex that he lived in, my child's father stayed in that same complex. Damn. I know that quick trip. I know that area, very familiar with that area. And so that was a very crazy experience for me because, you know, seeing how everything played out in the media, but also seeing it in person, it was not the same. How we, how it's the, the whole ordeal was explained online and, and seeing it in person, it, it just blew my mind, just the power yeah. of media um, and how often it's weaponized, but just the impact that it has on families. And so it was at that moment where I was like, well, what do I, what's the best way for me to advocate for my students when I'm getting fired, number one? Um, but it fueled something in me. And so that prompted me to go to school for social work. Um, and that, that was the catalyst for me merging my passion for service and merging my passion for writing. The things I started to write about was more historic, mm -hmm. um, more black history, more um, political, if you will, from, from the day that Mike Brown was murdered. That, that was my catalyst in, in everything starting to merge together for me. I just gave you a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah, but it but it told a good story. Yeah, yeah. you 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 know how to uh to segue and, and transition. <laughs> when what when you graduated or during that point, had you heard the term social media manager yet? Like not at all. So I think right. at that time Instagram was birthed in what 2011? Something like that. I yep. built my account in 2011. Um Twitter was 09 and uh I was very active on Twitter. Everything that I was doing on social was personal use. Right. Personal use. Like it wasn't, I remember being on Facebook when you had to be invited. Yeah. Like it was, it was personal use. Um, this, the job that I have now is my first formal social media manager job. So I had already been doing it. You, right. I had it just didn't have building that name. a brand. It just didn't have that name. And I you, didn't know how to articulate it on a resume, but I had already been you, doing it. Were you doing it for the, um, um well when you started writing uh you said americorps right you're there for a couple mm -hmm. of years were you, were you you were essentially doing it then technically yes and no so a part of my job as an advisor like i had to serve and so you know in education you whatever your job description is add seven other things right. to that so i learned how to be an event planner and right. and collect data i learned how to create flyers for you know, events. And I learned how to advocate for my students to get more money on their financial aid award mm. letters and, and just doing different things to promote the things right. that I was working on. So yes, I was doing it then for my film. Definitely. Like I was taught to, you know, build all of my pages, get all of my usernames before I even start recording, building an audience, um, building a following and just curating content of my subject before I started filming. So for Kenlock specifically, before I had even started recording, I would post content about people who were from Kenlock. I would post content about um, relevant historic Black cities that were on the verge of extinction, like before I even started recording. So the whole thing is build community and build awareness about what you're doing before you even have a finished product, which I truly believe, and I'm sure you'll get to this point, you know, further down the line, and what helped my, my film be as, as successful as it was, because it allowed people to be a part of my journey, because I documented it. I, I do not subscribe to, like, more working in silence or moving in silence. Everybody wants to act like Beyonce and only appear on the scene when you have a finished product. Right. Beyonce been here for 25 years, okay? Right. Yeah. Like yep, she's yep. walked the red and carpet. And people are just like, wait, I mean, yeah, people are waiting for anything. 
from her right and so when you when that album comes out it's like yeah we've been waiting for three years whatever earned it she there was a time when beyonce did radio interviews where she went to daytime talk shows where she interviewed people on mtv brick like she yeah yeah hey you can't do that she and i are like the same age so i remember being like 16 17 seeing her and and she used to talk to us okay (laughs) we used to know well she she used to talk to me specifically (laughs) how i viewed it Right. Oh. And people, people are trying to hit the scene by doing that. You haven't earned that. And so mm-hmm. building community, I want to get to a point where if I decide to sell Q-tips tomorrow, that people have been invested in my journey up until this point, that they want to support me. There were people who supported my film who don't know nothing about Kenlock, ain't mm-hmm. never stepped foot in Kenlock, ain't never stepped foot in St. Louis, but they saw I want to support this young black woman because I, I believe in what she's doing. I've been watching what she's doing up until this point. I love what she's doing. I'm learning more. Like, how can I support you? That means more to me than the other stuff. And so that's how I started evolving into, you know, I'm not just a documentary filmmaker. I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. I, I like highlighting underrepresented stories. And so that's when I started definitively using the term storyteller. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, the things you've you've talked about and the things that I'm well aware of that uh, a black female creative must go through to get their content out there. The blocks that are in the way and the people that I think about, I mean, you know, Issa Rae comes to mind very quickly, obviously. What's the lady who does uh, Abbott Elementary, um, Brunson? Uh, Kita, Kina. Yes. Uh, I, you know, she was a little more recently and I love watching Issa's stuff on YouTube years years ago. And so I'm really proud of their path. It's inspiring. But I think that often because of those blocks, or maybe I'm I'm guessing that people might get uh discouraged, right? And mm-hmm. not and not, you know, just think, well, th- you know, these paths aren't traditionally available to me. Mm-hmm. therefore you know what's the point right and i get that i mean i totally understand that however we know that they can get there you just kind of have to like take these alternative routes and then these themes keep coming up in our conversation of like all this extra uh, uh education that you're receiving these extra uh connections that you're making right just inviting filmmakers out to, to coffee just to pick their brains how important is it specifically for a black female creator to pursue these kind of alternate routes I was always taught from my parents that I was always going to have to do more, um, just having a marginalized identity. Um, I made it harder for myself after becoming a teen mom. Uh, and I often say like, I didn't really understand the term adversity until I became a teen mom. Hmm. Um, and so that's where, that was my my drive and adrenaline, uh, where, where that came from. Um, and so that had already been ingrained in me and my brothers from a very young age that things are not just going to be handed to you, no matter how good you are at it. And so I, I always carried the assumption that I'm always going to have to do more anyway. And because the routes that I chose and the routes that I continue to choose, um, are to me unorthodox in the sense that like now I work in tech, I work in FinTech. I'm not the face of FinTech. I chose to be a filmmaker. I'm not the face of filmmakers. And so the, the decisions that I'm making, I'm well aware. 
I am well aware that I'm not the majority, right? And so it's almost to the point where you have to encounter your first experience of adversity. You have to encounter your first experience of being told no or not being taken seriously. Many of the filmmakers that I reached out to in St. Louis, they didn't respond. They they just like, who was just like, I, I have too much work to do, right? And so it really wasn't until that I showed tangible results from the work that I was doing that more people started to take me serious. But I'm, I expect to not be taken seriously. This is um, such a good point. It's like nobody is excited to hear from you and to, i mean you just have to take the you know the ball yourself and go for it and then the eyes start to turn to you and then the people answer your calls but it is really discouraging when they won't very. initially and i've this is something i've been like marinating a lot on lately and i've done it a, a few times in my career but i still fight this you know the same battles and still understand that that yeah you really just have to even if that first thing is small you just have to you just have to go and do it and then you do a great mm -hmm. job it will turn heads you know you have to be kind of undeniable and uh, I've, I've always had that energy i, I my that. parents never had to to prompt me to do stuff i am a self-initiator so <laughs> my father always jokes and say like you were the child i didn't have to worry about because you're gonna get it done they didn't have to tell me to take out my homework or check my homework because I'm going to get it done. Like my brothers, on the other hand, that's a different story. <laughs> um, I'm a self, like my husband says all the time, like to anybody's, uh, you know, avail, like once my mind is on something, I'm going to figure out a way to get it done. I see that. Even if it impacts, not negatively, but just like, of course, my partner is going to support me. So like what mm -hmm. resources does he have available to me to make sure I get it done? But I'm going to get it done. That's just how I've always been in any regard. But I know everybody doesn't have that. And so that's why I get at the beginning of our conversation where I led with like, have you tangibly identified what your strengths are? Do you know what your strengths are? We get so caught up on the things that we don't have, that we don't know how to do, that what's going to take so long to get it. I can't afford it. And then we can continue adding to that list, right? What do you know how to do? Who is in your network that you can ask for help? What are things that you can, you know, continue to build up on as you're figuring out the rest? I got to a point where it's like, I know for myself, um, I'm never going to be the person like holding the camera. Like I want to learn just because I'm interested in it. But I had to also learn that just because I'm not the one holding the camera, that doesn't make me any less of a filmmaker. And mm -hmm. so the example that I use, you know, when you go to Marvel films and you see the 30 minute credits, you see all of those names in the credits. Everybody was a part of making that film and they are just as much of a filmmaker as a director and the producer and the DP. All of those people played a role in making that film, which is why they got the credits that they did. And so realizing like, what is, what is my strength? I'm just as much as a creator. I'm as, just as much as a storyteller. And this experience allowed me to see the areas in which I will excel in moving forward. I know now for my next project, I don't like editing. I hate it. It's me tedious. Too. It takes a lot of time. It gets I redundant because you're looking at the same clips over again. Mm -hmm. That is something I would delegate. I don't like producing logistics. I can do it. I don't want to do it. I want to direct. I want to engage with my subjects. I want to put the story together and, and build a team around it. Can I do it? Yes. Do I want to do it? No. But it was this experience that helped me figure that out. So you really got to lean into what, what your strengths are um, and shift your focus onto that rather than worrying about what you, what you don't possess. When you have a lot of passions, as it seems you do, and a lot mm -hmm. of interests and a lot of things you're skilled at, how do you juggle all of them 
and continue to like pursue them without feeling like segmented and like you're just like bouncing from thing to thing and not really making your way forward because clearly you have made your way forward but i know it's hard mm-hmm. when the, you know you have all these different things that are all creative but they're still pulling you in different directions are you a photographer are you a coach consultant type you know like how do you keep yeah. it together um am i keeping it together right? <laughs> you, you tell know? me am i <laughs> Uh, my mentor, when I was in school and I worked at the Father Support Center, um, he would always call me scatterbrain. Lonnie, you're just so scatterbrain. Like, you just need to just focus. And I'm like, I wish I could, but my brain would not allow me to because I care about too much stuff. And I'm, I am one to believe that in this lifetime of mine, I'll be able to put my hands on most, if not all the things that I'm interested in, even if it's not at the same time. Um, mm. For me, I do try to keep things related so like documentary filmmaking photography are in the same industry I'm using the same gadget and so as I learn more and I find out more it's like oh I want to I want to know what that's like Mm -hmm. so if I'm if I'm producing the content for myself and people are asking me like how did you do it oh I can turn this into a class because again I come from an education background so I try to approach things that allot me transferable skills um, to merge in between, but I don't have, I had to learn like balance does not mean 50, 50. Like it just has to add up to a hundred. Yeah. So there's some seasons where it's 90% over here, 10% over here. Great and vice point. Versa. The same thing with parenting. Like some weeks are going to require me to lean to my husband more for stuff with our daughter. And then some weeks where I'm more present because projects aren't, you know, as, you know, yeah. necessary for 100%. me to be involved in. Um, but I, I, I enjoy just doing things. My struggle is finding a hobby and not monetizing it. Finding <laughs> a hobby and create for the sake of creating. That yeah. is my biggest struggle. Cause yeah. as soon as I'm good at it, oh, I can't know Alana, just stay here, yep. stay here and just have a hobby. That's my challenge. That is tough. I definitely get that. How, how did you get the job in FinTech? So uh, after deciding to quit from teaching and having that moment um, with, you know, my course, I had a friend of mine who had recently got a job in ed tech. And so that's where I started learning about the different branches within tech. So ed tech, fintech, health tech, all of those things. And so he also served in AmeriCorps and was a college advisor at the same time that I was. So I'm like, I know mm-hmm. if he can break into this space, like, I can too. And so I started asking questions and doing research. Um, I had a friend of mine who worked, uh, she works for um, a tech company as well. We went to school together and she helped me with like my resume and my cover letter. She was like, Alana, it's all about how you tell the story. It's all about how you, you know, describe the tasks that you did in previous industries. Education industry is one of the most transferable skilled based industries there are. So I'm like, okay, well, what, what can I do within tech? Like, I don't know how to call. I don't know how to, this is like a lot of tech is like any other industry. Every industry needs a marketing department, a customer service department, a finance department. Like it's just like any other industry, right? And so if you're interested in marketing, only look for marketing roles within tech. And it was so simple, yet so profound. Like, <laughs> yes, of course, Alana, every industry needs, you have to market your product. Um, and so I started looking into 
different companies. Uh, at the same time, I saw an ad for a virtual ed tech job fair. Um, and then I signed up and I went and I got to meet a lot of different companies, how they do it. You know, you, you sign up, you get to see all of the companies that are there. You get to see all of the job openings and then they have virtual rooms, but it's only like four people that can be in a room at a time. And so like you wait on the next opening so you can go in to talk to the, um, hiring manager or the talent recruiter. But for the job I have now, the friend who helped me with my resume was like, yeah, I learned about this company and they're looking for a senior social media manager. And based on what I know about you, you'd be perfect. And so for me, I'm like, I want to do social media manager. Like I know how tedious it is just for my own personal brand. But again, I'm already doing it. So if I can do it for, you know, a brand and like just get more professional development and just learn how to do it on the more formal side, um, this could also help my personal brand. And so I applied and I got the job within two weeks. So my entry into tech was rather short. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also frustrates me because I'm like, dang, I could have did this five years ago right. if I had known how transferable my skills were back then. Um, and what prompted me actually before that, I started learning about UX UI. So mm-hmm. user experience. So mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm like, UX UI work is keeping the end user in mind throughout your entire build out. What does my customer want? I'm like, this is social work. Seriously. I'm helping yeah. my client, like taking the needs of my client based on what, what it's supposed to be. And it's right? storytelling. It's storytelling. So I'm like, why didn't nobody in my social work program tell me that I don't have to be a traditional <laughs> social worker, right? That I didn't have to have a direct client base, that my skills of doing research and case studies and researching the things that are impacting my, my, my clients, right? My customers, my end user easily transferable into UX UI. So that's, that's what I was looking at prior to social media management. Um, but if somebody would have fostered that and cultivated that with me while I was a student, I could have been in this space before now. Hindsight 2020, I probably wouldn't have been sure. able to finish my film. But now that I think about it, I do want to be in a position to where I can educate other non-traditional students who care about people, who care about policies impacting communities of color but also want to get paid um, uh, like they should because social work, they're not paying. Yeah. My first job, in, in if I took a traditional social work route, would have been less. My salary would have been less than how much I paid per year just to even get the degree, um, which is a whole nother conversation because people who work with people deserve the most amount of money to me. Um, but yeah, we need options. We need to see that you don't have to go the traditional route, that you can see that your skills are transferable. You can see that you can make a return on your investment as soon as you graduate. Mm. Um, so maybe I'll develop curriculum around that. I don't know. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of people probably out there that have a story inside them that they want to tell or something you know, in their heart they want to get out. Mm-hmm. And they may have a, a day job, which is good to cover the bills and everything like that. But I think that Again, there there might be blocks of people, blocks that people have rather, mental blocks, whatever that that prohibit them from feeling like they can pursue that while having a day job. I think one of the things you've done really well is still continue to cultivate and grow this personal brand, create films, do these projects that kind of light your heart on fire that you that you want to create, and still holding down a a, a day job, which is I'm sure demanding. Mm-hmm. Right. So can you do both? And if so, how? Definitely. Hopefully it doesn't take 
what it took me for it to click. <laughs> so, but when I got diagnosed with uh, my autoimmune disorder last year, so I had my first flare in January, I was in the hospital for four days. Um, I didn't mm. officially know what was wrong with me until March. So it was very, very scary um, for myself and my family. Um, but I was also doing like client coaching at the same time. And so I remember like getting prepped for my colonoscopy and getting waiting, like waiting to get wheeled back to the room. And I was getting like PayPal notifications, like clients were making their, you know, payments. And the whole time my, for myself, I was like, I just, I just want to be okay. Like, right. This is cool. Like, I, I want to be okay. And so at that moment, the decisions I started to make, like none of this stuff, none of this matters. Like the jobs don't matter. Not to say my clients didn't matter, but if I'm not okay. And so if there's an opportunity to take more autonomy of my life and my decisions, like I'll be damned if I let a job or school or all of that just like dictate how I live my life because I don't want to be in this place again. And so having that emergency um, brought a lot of clarity for me. And so that also led me to how I went about the different clients that I work with that, that led me to figure out the type of jobs that I wanted. So when I decided to go back into the workforce, uh, remote became my non-negotiable. Like I want to be able to, like, if I do have another flair, I need access to uh, the restroom because that's a part of the, my, my disease that I have, but I need to be able to go to the doctor without taking uh, time off. When my daughter, you know, was running cross country and they would have cross country meets at one o'clock in the afternoon, I want to go. Mm -hmm. I want to see my daughter at one o'clock in the afternoon with my laptop. So I started taking autonomy for um, how I wanted to curate my life. Like I don't have control over my disease. I have control over how I respond to it. I don't have control over all the things that happen in life. But if I'm blessed with the opportunity to plant my two feet on the ground, like what are things I have control over? I have control over the job that I, that I want. I don't have to, to settle for a job that does not fuel me. Um, my job is not here to make me happy, but I want to be in a position where I don't live to work. Well, you know, I don't, I don't want to be, you know, subjugated to that. So for a lot of people who are like, I don't have a choice, you do have a choice. There's consequences to all of our choices. Consequences meaning just end result, not good or better, different. But I taking autonomy for the decisions that you want to make in your life, how you want to curate your life, the type of life that you want for your children, should you have some. Um, even for my family, like my my parents are aging. I have one surviving grandparent who's 90. Like I want to be able to fly back home whenever I want to and work that, you know what I'm saying? So just take into account all of the things that are happening around me. And that's my priority, my health, my spouse, my child, my family, my network, and I can still produce amazing work. So you have to take into account, what do I have control over? Because you, you, it's so easy to convince yourself that life is just happening to you. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it's not. Like we have more control than what we think we have. So as long as you, if you breathing, you woke up this morning and you got breath in your body, you can make a decision. You can make a change. You can say, I don't want to do this anymore. That's, that's what happened with me. I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. So if I have another emergency for whatever reason, I want to be in a position to where I can still be a productive citizen. I can still work, but I can still take care of myself at the same time. And we can, the, op the options are there is just, what are we going to do to get to that point and ask for help? 
There's no such thing as self-made. There's always somebody working on your behalf. And there's always somebody who wants to work on your behalf to help you get to where you need to go with no strings attached. Wait, Kendall Jenner isn't self-made? Damn. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody on that side of the water is self-made. My goodness. So listen, when can we look forward uh, to your book, The Lazy Creative? Ooh, I see you speaking into my life. My mom always told me that she saw that I was going to write a book one day. And I'm like, Mom, I don't know. Oh, you're definitely, definitely. I, and we can talk about that separately because I just went through that journey and I have a few more that, that I want to do. But it's there. The stuff is there. I don't mean to be, add something else. You sound like you got a busy oh, 2022. That's, that's but, how I'm telling you, that's how it happens for every, every, literally how my film got made. Yeah. Why isn't there a film on Kenlock? A lot of why don't you make it? Okay. Listen. When the I do the that, themes that we that we talked about today, and also that title is just fire. Uh, but the whole—I mean, it's really all it is—is is your workshop, right? How, mm-hmm. What was the name of your workshop? How to shoot like a pro with your iPhone. How to shoot like a pro with your iPhone. You say everything you need to say right there. How to make results like professionals with the tools that you have and know how to use without learning professional tools, right? That's the gist of it, right? And you can do that with with a multitude of things, not just that specific, you know, iPhone and photography thing. Your whole life is that, right? And your whole life is education. Mm-hmm. And then you are what's going what's going to connect with the people is that concept of the lazy creative. I knew exactly what you were talking about, and it sounds just like me. And there's a lot of us out there, right? So. Just mm-hmm. put that in your. Oh, so you already <laughs> did, right? See, dang. No, sorry, not, not sorry. Uh, <laughs> listen, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, uh, and I'm glad we finally connected. I know you got a lot going on, but I'm glad that we could chat, and I feel like the connection is there and will be everlasting now. Uh, thank and you for following we'll, up. Yeah, you know, we sure. won't mention how many times it took, but you know, I got you. <laughs> My apologies. No, girl, I'm just you messing can with you. See why now. I can't. I can Good. very clearly see it, but I hope it leads to some other collaboration because I really dig your vibe and just I love the work that you're doing. Um, and also make sure you send me a link to your film. I've been following you, you know, about the film, but haven't seen it yet. So um, do that for me. I appreciate you spending some time with me today. No, thank you for holding space and, and sharing your platform. Um, this was fun. This was Absolutely. definitely the spark in my afternoon. As I Oh, I appreciate that. Work. Now that you're going to go take a nap. <laughs> All right. Definitely. <laughs> Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.